I'm sure y'all at home or wherever you might be worshiping with us appreciate the fantastic job that Jason and his team does uh, leading us in worship. And we need to be reminded of how great the grace is that sustains us. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're completing our study of this last correspondence of the Apostle Paul. These are the last inspired words we have of the Apostle Paul. His heart is aching. It's aching for his friends. It's particularly aching to see Timothy. It's aching for the church as he, even as the Apostle Paul, wonders what's going to happen to it after he's gone, even though he trusts that Jesus is king and head of the church. But even as he experiences aching, his heart is also filled with appreciation over many things. The theme of our study through 2 Timothy has been running the race to finish the course. And our theme this morning is running the race with appreciation. It's often been said, and I think we're all experience it to some extent, you never know how much you appreciate something until it's taken away. Think about this COVID-19 crisis. What are you finding yourselves appreciating in fresh ways that maybe you took for granted before? Toilet paper, full shelves, office interaction, corporate worship. There's a British writer. His name was Thomas Haynes Bailey. And in 1844, he wrote a poem called Isle of Beauty. Now, I doubt there are very, very many people that are watching this morning that have ever heard of Thomas Bailey or have ever heard of his poem, Isle of Beauty. At the same time, I guarantee you that all of us have actually heard a line from that poem. The line is this. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. We're all experiencing that to some extent. And in this passage, as Paul ends his letter to Timothy, he is experiencing that truth as well. Think of times when you've experienced that. Every single time I go on a mission trip without Laurie, or actually any time I go on a trip without Laurie, I experience the truth of that line. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And it's not always even just people that absence makes us appreciate. Whenever I go to a developing nation and I don't get to shower, or I take cold showers, or I take warm showers with contaminated water, every single time I come back, I just stand in our shower at home and I just let that hot, clean water wash over me. I appreciate it in a fresh way. Or whenever I have a salad and eat lettuce 
when I get back from various nations that I've visited for mission trips, I can eat without being overly concerned that I'm going to ingest bacteria or that all the leaves of the lettuce are dry so that there's no water. There are all kinds of things and people that we learn to appreciate more through absence or taking them away. I'm always very appreciative of my health when I've been sick. You see, COVID-19, other crises in life, can help us grow in appreciation. And even scientific studies reveal that as we grow in an attitude of appreciation, there are all kinds of benefits. Let me give you a few of them. First of all, appreciation and growing in appreciation has been proven to increase job satisfaction, marital satisfaction, and even satisfaction of life in general. Appreciation and growing in appreciation has been proven to decrease impatience and frustration in our lives. And appreciation and growing in appreciation has been proven to suppress illness and even decrease the number of visits to the doctor. It's been said in the wor- in the, that in the world there are thankers, and non-thankers, or thank-nots. Who are you? Do you find yourself filled with appreciation this morning, right now? Or right now, are you prone toward negativity and complaint? The Apostle Paul was clearly a thanker. And even in a prison pit awaiting execution, he cultivates an attitude of appreciation. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he calls us to cultivate appreciation as well. So let me read the last few verses of 2 Timothy. Think about this. It's rather somber. These are the last inspired words of the Apostle Paul that we'll ever hear. 2 Timothy 4, 19-22, this is God's word. Greet Prisca and Achilla and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your power to be present in our weakness right now. Father, it's difficult to connect through technology, under normal circumstances, we would even say that virtual community is a lie. How do you connect 
when you're not connecting. And yet, Father, at this moment, we have no choice. And so, Lord, help these words to connect with your people. God, I would even ask that you would help me connect with your people, even though I'm looking into a camera. But, Father, more than anything, would you enable us this morning to grow in our faith, in our spirit, and in appreciation for you, for Jesus, for the cross, for the church, and for so many other things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul highlights in this passage three areas of life in which he wants us to develop and cultivate an attitude of appreciation. First of all, run the race appreciating family. Now, we are hunkered down with family, and you may not be filled with appreciation for your family right now. Well, I want to encourage you to continue to cry out for grace, but also I want to encourage you that that actually your nuclear family is not primarily what I'm talking about this morning. Run the race appreciating the family of God. Run the race appreciating fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Run the race appreciating the church. All through these last words of Paul, we see him appreciating friends, co-laborers, co-workers in the gospel. Look at verse 19. Greet Prisca and Aquila. Now, uh, Prisca and Aquila were a married couple that we meet in the book of Acts, chapter 18. Aquila was a Jew who was from Pontus, which is uh, in northeastern Turkey. And the New Testament presents a lot of details about Prisca and Aquila. One thing about Prisca you need to know is, is my first dog, a German shepherd, was named Prisca. And at the time, of course, I had no idea that there was any connection to the New Testament character of this woman. What's interesting is, is four out of the six times Prisca and Aquila are mentioned in the Bible, Prisca's name is mentioned first. Very unusual in a, in a, in a male-dominated first-century world. Just a reminder that, that nothing has done more to elevate the role, the place, the dignity of women like the Christian faith. It transformed the way women were viewed in the first century. And it's still transforming even our culture. So one of the first things I want to help us all appreciate as the family of God is appreciate the differences that God has given the genders in his creative genius. In Genesis 1, we're told very clearly that God very purposefully created us male and female. As we grow in our appreciation of the family of God, we need to learn to grow an appreciation of gender. Not 50 genders, but two genders, male and female. And God created the family of God to reflect, reveal, and represent Him to one another. 
Men, there are things about the way God has made women that we need to learn about God's heart and character through them. And women, there are things about God's character and heart you can only learn by appreciating the fellowship of the family of God that includes men. We also find in the New Testament that uh, Prisca and Aquila were tent makers, just like the Apostle Paul, so they had some common interests. We learn that they were expelled from Rome when Claudius expelled the Jews. The emperor Claudius expelled Jews from Rome. Uh, Prisca and Aquila joined Paul on his second missionary journey. They led a small group in the church at Ephesus. Then they returned to Rome and led a small group there. And now at the writing of 2 Timothy, as Paul greets them, he is in Rome and they are back in Ephesus. Now, why all the details? Because to appreciate the family of God, we need to know each other's stories. We need to know each other's backgrounds. We need to appreciate each other's past, past pain, past pleasure. And we need to understand each other's current circumstances. Now, I realize right now, that's more difficult than it's been. I hope that this, this unique season Truly, absence is making your hearts grow fonder and your longing to hear others' stories and to share current circumstances. But let me, let me just remind us that we live in an age of unprecedented technological advance. You can text. You can email. You can Zoom. You can FaceTime. You can Skype. And of course, you can even walk six feet apart from each other. But we're able to still engage in each other's lives. Social distancing. Paul was in Rome. Prisca and Aquila were in Ephesus. Didn't dampen Paul's appreciation for them as part of the family of God. One of my favorite biographies I've ever read is John Adams by David McCullough. And what I like about what McCullough does is he gets almost all of his data from actual letters that John Adams wrote. He wrote to his wife, Abigail. He wrote to his children. He wrote to Jefferson. He wrote to all kinds of our founding fathers. And you get to see the heart of John Adams through his letters. We can get to know each other's hearts and grow an appreciation of one another as we take the time to write, call, text, FaceTime, whatever it is that you want to do. But it's very important, as Prisca and Aquila did to Paul, and Paul did to Prisca and Aquila, we need to open up our hearts. You need to be willing to be known. And in addition, we need to be willing to pursue each other. I've had some dear friends this week reach out and pursue me. Now, Unfortunately, uh, there were too many things going on and I couldn't join them and what they wanted me to join them for. But it feels so good to be pursued. How have you been pursued during this crisis? 
And how have you pursued others? And this week, who might you pursue and express appreciation for? Then in verse 19, Paul also says, Greet also the household of Onesiphorus. Now, we've already met Onesiphorus in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, 16-18, Paul says this about Onesiphorus. He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Who has been refreshing you during this season? Who can you refresh? What is refreshing to you in this season? How might you refresh others through what you desire to experience? And then in 2 Timothy 1 verse 17, He searched earnestly for me and found me. I just talked about being pursued by friends. Engage in the pursuit of others. Look, we're practicing social distancing. We are not practicing social isolation. There are many ways we can engage each other. Verse 20, Erastus remained at Corinth. Paul appreciates that Erastus was willing to sacrifice Erastus and Paul and Timothy were also co-workers, but Erastus remained behind in order to minister to the people of Corinth. And we need to learn to appreciate those who are sacrificing for us, especially during this season, appreciating the, the front line of healthcare workers, doctors, nurses. There are all kinds of people first responders, pharmacists. Let's pray for these people. Let's let's show how much we appreciate their sacrifice. And then, of course, let's be willing to sacrifice for others. In verse 21, Paul talks about Eubulus and Pudens and Linus and another woman, Claudia. Uh, we're pretty certain that Linus uh, was the son of Pudens and Claudia. And church history tells us that Linus was the first bishop of Rome, that after Paul was beheaded, that uh, Linus then became the bishop of Rome. The point is, as we learn all these details of all these people, it is obvious that Paul and Timothy were people who appreciated connection. I'm sure they had extended family. We know Paul, we know Timothy and his mother and grandmother that was introduced earlier in the letter, but they appreciated the family of God. May we be appreciative of the family of God as well. I was on a Zoom call uh, with some ministry, ministry partners uh, in the Middle East this week. And they're facing the same crisis. And as they're facing the crisis there, they told me that there were family visits that had been planned by their nuclear family in the States that had to be canceled. And they shared how disappointing that was and how grievous that was and how they lamented that. But then they went on to say that their team in a sense, is taking those people's places. And they have 
They have aunts and uncles, spiritually speaking, on the team. Let's grow in our appreciation for our church. May absence make our hearts grow fonder. Then secondly, run the race appreciating suffering. Yes, I said that. You heard right. Run the race appreciating suffering. Look at verse 20. I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Now, Miletus is relatively close to Ephesus in western Turkey. And again, we find out in the book of Acts that, that Timothy and Trophimus went with Paul to northern Greece. But Paul mentions that Trophimus is ill in Miletus. What we learn here, what we're reminded of, is God doesn't promise that Christians will be free from suffering. As a matter of fact, he's already said in this letter that everyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer and will experience persecution. When Adam and Eve fell, and that's our devotional topic this week, when Adam and Eve fell, death came into the world. Most importantly, spiritual death. We're separated from God because of our sin. We can't experience His favor, His delight, His blessing, because our sin separates us. And of course, Jesus is the answer. We'll get to that in a moment. But the entire cosmos broke when Adam and Eve broke the covenant of life. And cells broke down in plants and animals and people. COVID-19 is the result of the fall. Christians have an explanation as to why there is COVID-19. It's because of the fall. And Christians fall ill, just like Trophimus. And Christians face emotional suffering. Christians face financial crises. Christians lose their jobs. Christians experience relational broken suffering with a God-ordained redemptive purpose. First Peter addresses suffering. He says, You've been grieved by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that is refined by fire, might result in praise and glory and honor at the day of Christ Jesus. We appreciate suffering because it is purifying our faith. Look, none of us wants to be going through what we're going through right now. Think about restaurant owners and what they're facing. Think about all kinds of industries and how they're being shut down. Nobody wants to go through this right now. But for the Christian, we know that God is on His throne and any suffering He's ordained for us has come through His loving, wise, good providence. And our faith can be purified as we appreciate suffering. In James 1, the half-brother of Jesus says, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness produces maturity, and maturity leads to fulfillment. James says we're to appreciate suffering because it develops the muscles 
of faith. It's the workout of the soul. In Romans 5, Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance. Endurance leads to proven character and proven character leads to hope and hope never disappoints us and leads to a fresh experience of the flood of the love of God. Paul is awaiting execution. Timothy's facing great ministry pressure and suffering. Christians are never promised better circumstances than unbelievers. As a matter of fact, God sends suffering to us so that the world might see a difference between how Christians suffer and the world suffers. We're not promised better circumstances, but we're promised the presence of Jesus. We're promised the presence of the Spirit. And we're promised a new and better world the new Jerusalem, if this COVID-19 panic should remind us of everything, anything, it should remind us that this is not our home. We were made for a better world. And if we know Christ, he'll bring us there. In Philippians 3.10, it's amazing that Paul says, I want to know Christ. That's not amazing. I do too. And the power of his resurrection. Well, that's easy for me to say too. But then comes the kicker. And I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm sorry, folks. I can't always say that I want that. But Paul appreciated the purpose of suffering in God's children's lives. He appreciated what God does through it. It makes us into better people. I don't know if you appreciate wine, uh, but Jesus sure did, and I do, for that matter. Well, you may not know this, but the natural habitat of grapevines is in the wild, in natural wooded areas where it grows as a climbing plant, a vine that uses trees and bushes for support. Now, in its natural, comfortable environment, it produces relatively few bunches and rather small bunches of small and sour grapes. In other words, a grapevine in its natural, comfortable habitat does not produce very many grapes or very good wine. Good wineries grow grapes in relatively tight rows on wire trestling that are constructed purposely to force grapes to struggle to find water, to get nutrients. See, given a comfortable environment... Grapevines will simply produce leaves and shoots. They're comfortable. They're kicking back. And they don't reproduce grapes. 
But if vines are tightly packed together, again, in a scientific way, in a precise way, if they're withheld some water and nutrients, they have to run their roots deep, they grow better grapes. They grow more grapes. And they produce better wine. God has placed us in a broken world so that we got to put our roots down deep into Christ. And then he also prunes us, as Jesus says in John 15, that we might bear more fruit. May we all grow to appreciate suffering. Please know that I break out in a cold sweat as I speak those words. I don't like to suffer. I hate getting sick. I don't even like getting the flu let alone whatever this thing is. But we can rest in God's providence and purposes and even grow to appreciate suffering. And then thirdly and finally, run the race appreciating grace. What beautiful words to conclude with. Look at verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Paul's all alone except for Luke, but he's in a pit. He's looking up at Luke and he's dictating these words. And yet, Paul knows that Jesus has not left him alone. And he encourages Timothy that the Lord may be with his spirit as well. In other words, that Timothy would experience a deep sense that Jesus is with him. That is what we're called to do. We're called to appreciate the reality of the grace of God in our own lives, and then we are to bless others with that same blessing. It used to be in churches that there'd be a response between the pastor and and the congregation, and the pastor would say, the Lord be with you, and the congregation would respond and say, and also with you. What would happen if you did that right now? Turn to the people next to you and say, the Lord be with you. Look them in the eye and mean it. Be genuine. Be sincere. The Lord be with you. And you, the other person, you respond and also with you. And for those of you who are watching alone, I'll say it. The Lord be with you. And I'll hear by God's grace and also with you. We're called to bless each other with grace. That that God actually promises supernatural favor when we bless each other. It's an amazing gift that God has given us. You know where we get the saying goodbye? It's it's an old English phrase that, that literally means and was at one time God be with you. As you depart from somebody, you'd say, God be with ye. Because that's how they talked back then, right? God be with ye. God be with you. Say it really fast. God be with you. Goodbye. That's where goodbye comes from. It's a blessing. How often do we fail to recognize that when you say goodbye? Mean it. Say, God be with ye. You can use you if you want to. And then look at verse 22 at the end, grace be with you. What's interesting is the yous are different. This is where, again, learning the Greek really does help. In verse 22, when Paul says, the Lord be with your spirit, that is singular. He's talking to Timothy. Now, it's not that he doesn't want to bless others with that 
wish as well, or prayer as well, but it's more precise. When it says grace be with you, that's with y'all. See, if Paul was a southerner, there would be no uh, confusion. Grace with you, one, grace with y'all, all. See, grace for Paul is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian life. It's one of our values. At Oak Mountain, we want to be grace-driven. What's that mean? Well, first of all, it means that we preach grace to ourselves, to one another, and to the lost. What does that mean? Well, grace is two things that we talk about at Oak Mountain. It is, first of all, God's unconditional love for us in Christ. Listen, I know this is going to be unpopular, but I need to say this. We at least need to be open to the possibility that this is part of the judgment of God. Not on particular people, because we're all sinners. God even says in His Word that it's time for judgment to begin with the people of God, with the church. This very well could be God's disciplining hand saying, my people, you've forgotten me. Why would I say that? Because God is a holy God. God is a just God. God is a righteous God. And he will not trifle with his people when we don't take holiness seriously. And that's why we need grace. Our only hope is to, as it says in Second Chronicles, if my people, not America, good grief, where's that thought come from? If my people, the church, if the church humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, turn to me and cry out in prayer, I will turn toward them, I will forgive them, and I will heal their land. What's their land? The church's land is, is the ministry of the gospel. We need grace. Now, if you're watching this morning and you're not sure, let's just say the worst happens. You know, the very worst thing that can happen to a Christian is the very best thing. Paul, Paul says to die is gain. To die is to go and be with Christ. But some of us who are watching or listening, we may not know for sure what's going to happen if we die. Well, let me tell you what grace is. Grace is God sending Christ to live a life of obedience that you nor I could ever possibly live. And then God, as we turn to Christ in simple trust, God credits that righteous life to us as if we had lived it ourselves. That's what happens when we transfer our trust from ourselves to Christ. And then Jesus died a death that paid a penalty. Again, folks, here's the holiness of God. Why did Jesus come? Not only because he loves, but because he's holy. He's righteous. His eyes are too pure to look upon sin. He cannot sweep sin under the carpet. It has to be dealt with. And it will be dealt with. Either by Christ or by us. And the choice is yours. 
Will you transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus? Or will you continue to try to hope in your own righteousness or your own ability to try to pay the penalty through penance? You can't. It is only by grace through faith that we can be saved. Paul lived his entire life and died in his death with grace on his lips. I remember seeing a Mercedes-Benz commercial not too long ago, and it showed this beautiful Mercedes going 40 miles an hour and crashing into a concrete wall, bouncing up in the air, and parts flying all over the place. In the voiceover, I asked the company spokesman uh, why Mercedes does not enforce its energy-absorbing car body, a design that's been copied by other manufacturers of cars. And the company spokesman speaks these words, because some things in life are too important not to share. Grace is one of those things. Jesus is too important not to share. People of God, we have an unprecedented opportunity to share Jesus. I know some of us don't like social media, but let me tell you something. If it wasn't for social media right now, how would people be connecting? If it wasn't for, for the virtual platforms, how would people, people be connecting? We have an opportunity to invite people to, to view this stream, live stream. We have opportunities to put messages out on social media to give people hope and encouragement. I heard another idea from another PCA church, and I'll close with this. Uh, this church did its first virtual service like we did last week. And uh, there's another tradition in the church. It's called passing the peace. And the congregation at the end of the service one person would say to the other, peace be with you. And then uh, the other person would respond and would say, and also with you. Similar to the Lord be with you and also with you. I'd like to close by us passing the peace. Not only me to you, you to me, but also wherever you're watching. I want you to turn to one another and say, peace be with you. And the other person say, and also with you. But I want to go one step further. I want you to text it to each other. I want you to email it to each other. I want you to FaceTime each other. And I want you to say it sincerely. Peace be with you and also with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul, the impact he's had on our lives. Thank you for this letter, this last letter. And God, we do pray that we would be a people that appreciates the family of God. Lord, that we would find our hearts growing fonder through absence. Father, we pray we would even appreciate suffering. And courageously, like Paul, we would say, I want to know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship with his sufferings becoming like him in his death so that in ways we attain the resurrection from the dead. And Lord, please enable us to appreciate grace and share it and show it to everyone. 
And God, if there's anybody today that maybe their eyes have been opened and they realize they, they really have been trusting in themselves or their own religiosity or, or their own actions or their own penance, that today would be the day they transfer their trust from themselves to Jesus alone, his obedient life for them, his substitutionary death for them. God, we cry out for healing for the church, for revival in the church, and awakening in our world. And God, we ask, have mercy on us and heal this world from this disease. God, be with us now as we depart. In Jesus' name, amen.